There we are. Here we go. There you are coming along with the ride. Much appreciated. It's the John Curley Sherry Elliger Show. You're writing to us. That's good. It's good for you. Nine out of ten dentists recommend that you write to the show. Still trying to give us that tenth dentist, Sherry? I don't know why he's holding back or she's holding yeah, back. He just, just wants to be, you know, different. Mako Shuka Casino Resort, one triple eight. Nine seven three five four seven six. Our listeners are more clever than we are, and they demonstrate that all the time. As you read your letters, diving into that. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. Huh? There's news out there, and we've found it. Combination news and entertainment. We like to call what? Andrew? News tainment. That's right. You'd like to hear yourself say on the air your name and where you're from, and you just, you're hungering for some new teenment. Go to our Instagram page, John and Sherry Show, our Instagram page, and um, click on, what is it? What do you do? Click on something, Joe, and then goes to the Facebook, right? Can they find it easily? <laughs> yeah. Ah, this stuff works. Contact us. It'll get yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. Call us. Tell you what to do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. That's either a ticker tape in the background or that's Joe doing a great big bong hit. Can't tell what. Sad story, as a matter of fact. Jennifer uh, Crumley, the first parent of a mass shooter facing charges, took the stand in Michigan today. Yikes. Wow. The landmark case against a mother in Michigan. Jennifer Crumbley is charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter after her son killed four students at Oxford High School in 2021. She has pleaded not guilty. But if she is convicted, it would be the first time that parents are held responsible in connection with a mass shooting committed by their child. And joining us for our legal segment, Better Call Brian, is ABC News contributor and attorney Brian Buckmeyer. Good to see you, my friend. Good to be here, guys. So every time I see this on the news, and many people that I know, and you see a minor involved, you automatically think, okay, what did their parents know? Were their parents involved? What type of home did they grow up in? So this is a clear case that there were red flags. The father purchased the gun. Mom knew about it. What's up with this? Yeah, like you said, it's about red flags and how that gun got into the shooter's hands. When you look at some of the red flags that the prosecution is putting forward, they're talking about these text messages that the shooter shared with the mother, that he was seeing demons in the home, things flying off the shelf. And she kind of like poo-pooed it, like just kind of brushed it off as not that much. But we know that he had lost his grandmother, he had lost his dog, his best friend had moved away. Uh, and then we talk about the actual day of the shooting, when the teachers called in the parents and showed them this math homework with quotes like, like, the thoughts won't stop, help me, blood mm -hmm. everywhere, pictures of a gun, pictures of a bullet. These are the red flags that the prosecution is pointing to to try to prove their case. What's the defense saying about these red flags? The defense is saying that they didn't know that their child had mental health issues to this level, that the teachers in the school should have alerted them, should have given them more information, and that they were unaware, even though the father purchased a gun, that this would be an issue in terms of either harming himself or others. This could be a landmark case. Could it set a precedent for cases moving ahead? Absolutely. The word that we use in the legal field is called a bright line rule. What's going to be criminal and what's not going to be criminal. So when you look at a case like this, where you have this many red flags, and I would say that cause or that kind of spark of actually purchasing a gun for your child, if you add those together in Michigan, they're saying that's enough for involuntary manslaughter. That's enough to put someone away for up to 15 years. Hmm. Did they purchase the gun for the kid? No, uh, I, this is a, a little bit complicated, but what All they're right, accusing 
her mo- mm-hmm. the mother of is basically negligence. They say that the kid went to her and said he was depressed. She said that's not true. He seemed a little upset. He wanted to go to therapy. She said she didn't think it was necessary. And the father, um, while this was going on, the mother was having an affair with this fireman. And mm-hmm. she spent a lot of time at, I guess they have a course, and she spent a lot of time at the stable. And they accuse her of being unaware of her son's declining mental health because she was involved with this affair. Uh, mm-hmm. The husband, uh, he's she hasn't had any contact with him for about two years. He's also charged in this case. And so um, the day of the shooting, they went to the school. They, he had all these weird drawings, all this strange stuff, and she was willing to take him home that day. But the school mm-hmm. officials said, no, if he wants to stay, I don't think it's that concerning, he can stay. And that's when it all happened. So as far as the the, the things flying around the house, they lived in a yeah. really, really old house. And they said that, you know, they teased about having a ghost there. I think they called her Victoria. And uh-huh. stuff just kind of happened that that was exaggerated. Yeah. The problem with this case is that you're now going to have to set a standard for what is good parenting and what is good. And the value of the how the parent interacts with the child and then say, well, the parent knew. Well, the school had red flags. The parents had some red flags, whether they cared to address them or not. To make the parent responsible, you have to go back and stand. Now there would have to be a standard of care that the state would have to say, well, this is good standard. This is bad standard. You violated these um these you know three or four indicators that this kid had mental illness so you're responsible right it's like the idea of the bartender the bartender over serving the individual so then the bar loses its license because it's overserved. the bartender has to assess how many drinks the person has had person walks up to the bar and there's another one bartender gives them another one even though the bartender knew and often if you work in a bar they'll make you take a class to learn how not to overserve because you get your license taken away. So at some point, there's a human interaction between the drunk coming to the bar and asking for the drink and the bartender saying, no, you've had too much. Call a friend, call a cab. You're out of here and kicking the person out. Right. If they overserve, they are then uh, part of the crime that occurred for the parent. It's not as simple as just handing somebody a drink like Adam Lanz's mother. Like This is a nutty. That's the kid in Sandy Hook. The mother bought guns because they thought, oh, this will help me relate to my son. So we'll go to the shooting range together. But that kid was mentally ill. There's indicators along the way that you have to step in there and catch but you have to assume the parent, one, wants to be honest and wants to deal with it. Does the parent want to call the authorities and have the kid turned over? Maybe they think, oh, he's getting better. I don't have to call. But once the state determines, well, this is good behavior and this is bad behavior, well, then you could open up to a whole bunch of parent-child uh, relationships, right? You certainly don't want to do that because then we could take every single kid that is involved in another shooting where you go in and you blast through a bunch of other gang members well the parent is responsible because they probably should have done more not to raise the child to have such little regard for other human life well then now look out now we're getting into the kind of area where nobody wants to talk about that stuff so same thing parent child relationships the state determining what is good and what is bad would be a big problem she took the stand here she's complaining about her son having it's just this is her actually testifying here's what she says did you ever believe that your son needed mental health treatment, therapy, counseling, anything? No, I mean, 
There's a couple of times where Ethan has expressed anxiety over taking tests, um, anxiety about what he was going to do after high school, whether it was college, uh, military. So he expressed those those concerns to me, um, but not not to a level where I felt he needed to go see a psychiatrist or a mental health professional right away. No. Did you ever? deny him or say no I'm not going to take you to a mental health professional did he ever ask you no I mean he one time um when he was talking about what he wanted to do for the for his future I don't know he just he was feeling really down about it stressed um we did we did my husband did call his school counselor to try to talk to him because they do a lot of future academic planning with the tech school um was that a mental health issue? No, it was more or less addressing what was upsetting my son at that time. Okay, and what was the what was upsetting him? The fact that he didn't know what he wanted to do. His grades weren't that great, so he was stressed out about getting into college. Um, he just he was just having a hard time with his future goals. Hmm. Hmm. Don't you yeah. think there should be some culpability? Uh, for the parents, if it is proven that there is a a gun that isn't secured, that I mean, maybe that would be with an age limit, like the little boy in Virginia. He's six years old, found the gun, took it to school, shot his oh, teacher. Oh yeah, shot his teacher. Yeah, I think the mom and, got charged on that she, one. She did, yeah. and she went. She's going to prison for it. Mm-hmm. I, I think those kinds of things have to be in place, and I think it does send a. a a bit of a cautionary tale to people that aren't securing their guns, especially if someone is has small children. Mm-hmm. You want to believe that if you're teaching these kids in high school how to shoot a gun, they're going to be responsible with it because hopefully that's what you're teaching them. But when they're under the age of 10, y- you don't know what they could do. I mean, they're unpredictable. Right. Yeah, they have yeah. friends that could influence them. I-, I think that at a very minimum, Parents that have guns available to kids that are at a certain age should be held somewhat responsible. They're not responsible for the for the murders, but they're responsible somehow. If a kid tells the parent that they're depressed and they've got all sorts of problems and then the kid kills himself, is the parent complicit? Is the parent responsible for that death? We rule that a homicide and charge the parent because the child killed himself. No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, once you start going down that road, it's going to be, uh, you know, a very, very slippery slope. Yes. The parent, the, the, the guilt that that parent would probably hold for the rest of their lives over that child killing him or herself is uh, un- unbelievable, I'm sure. Uh, not that that's enough, but, I mean, they didn't – they – not every parent is going to get their kid mental health help. It's just not going to be accessible to some people. And some right. some parents still believe it's going to stigmatize the child. Got it. You're, you're right. I, I'm not a big movie guy. I don't know how I stumbled on this thing. I think Tom told me to watch it. So if stories like this create great anger, sympathy and everything, there's this unbelievable. It's such a simple movie. It's four actors in one room. And it, the name of the movie is called Mass, Mass. And I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but it is absolutely just life-changing when you see how these actors portraying these parents. You say you want to heal. Is this how? 
We're not here to attack you. And we promise that. We want to know how this happened. We need your help with that. I'm willing to help when you talk about blame on your part. I want to know what you're referring to. It's very hard to answer. Well, please try. It's not just one thing. Tell me about your son. What would you like to know? Everything. I want to know everything. Why? Why do I want to know about your son? Because he killed mine. It's not our fault, Richard. Oh, it is. But the resolution at the end of this movie is just highly recommended. If this story, as the story of the Michigan rolls along and it gets more news, if it does get more news, highly recommend you watch that movie. It is just right on the point between these parents, the the parent of the kid that lost their life and the parent of the shooter, and to be able to equally um, walk you through both conscious consciousnesses of, of the parents and their their roles in all of this is just great. I think I think it won a whole bunch of awards, but it's not a great big, you know, shoot 'em up movie, doesn't have anything else. Just four people in a room with a box of Kleenex in this church and wow, it is really good. Really good. How about that? Me going off on the uh on a movie shirt. Yeah, good. You you're yeah. You're catching up. You watched yeah. that uh, <laughs> that documentary. I yeah, hear. Joe told me to watch. Uh, yeah. Yes, that was surprising. Yeah, that was surprising. Uh, it's time for Gavin Newsom, real quick. Let's see, Gavin Newsom. It's a little long, but um, he's oh, it's way too long. But I call BS on this story. Are there three minutes? Yeah, let's do this real fast. So Gavin Newsom's on a Zoom thing. They got a bunch of people there, yes, and sir. he have- uh, you drop this, and he comes. Uh, this is Gavin Newsom talking about being a target. Okay, he's a target, and then he picks it up. And he's walking out. He's talking about a guy shoplifting. As we're checking out, the woman says, oh, he's just walking out. He didn't pay for that. I said, well, why are you stopping? She goes, oh, the governor. I swear to God, true story. And my mom's great. No. The governor lowered the threshold. There's no there's no, there's no, accountability. There's no, I said, that's just not true. And she, I, she got, I said, we have the 10th toughest, $950, the 10th toughest in America. She doesn't even know what I was talking about. By the way, it's the 10th toughest in America. So look it up. No one gives a damn about right. that. And I said, it's just not true. There's still stop. He said, well, we don't stop them because of the government. And then she goes, she looks at me twice and then she freaks out. She calls everyone over, wants to take photos. I'm like, no, I'm not taking a photo. We're having a conversation. Where's your manager? How are you blaming the governor? And it was, you know, $380 later. And I was like, why am I spending $380? Everyone can walk the hell right out. Well, not fair. Not fair. Not fair. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're a victim. My yeah. Poor guy. Sorry, I'm going to go ahead and get I get us started. I know that Mayor Gloria and Mayor Breed are still logging on. So, um, Hopefully all the reporters were not. We've, we've got about 30 folks on, so yeah. we're going to go he says, I ahead hope there's no and reporters get started on here. That. I know that. So, what, so they here's can why. check out the story? <laughs> yeah, here's, here's why. The guy travels with a security force everywhere. When he was the mayor... Big security force, all sorts of SUVs. As the governor, you think that person at Target that knows, oh, the governor, doesn't realize when he's standing there and the other three guys are all around him? You don't believe that? that, Come on. I swear on my mother's grave. Yeah, you're a victim. By the way, you did pass a law. You did sign the law that now 
employees are not supposed to do anything. They're not supposed to ask to be involved. And yes, you were one of the first to put this thing in place. The people of San Francisco said, yeah, we don't, you know what? Free strikes are out. That's not fair. Somebody steal something. So they did drop it down to 900 and some. It's on you, Governor. But I don't yeah, believe and- that he was a target. And the person's like, oh, the- and then she recognized him and wanted a photo. Bull crap. Well, also, why? What? What did he buy for three hundred and eighty dollars at Target? Uh, hair gel. There we go. Thank you, sure. I'll look for that. Is that our guy? Is that Jason, the guy that, the, that he's talking about? The nightmare uh, tenant? No, because tenant. this is the late wife's house, so I think it's oh, a different okay. situation. Oh, okay. then, Jason. Okay, he's still battling away. Alrighty. Um, well, we know that uh, Bud Light decided, hey, I got an idea when they hired that uh, woman, oh, first uh, woman we've ever put in charge of marketing, and she decided she wanted to extend the brand, get it away from all of those, uh, you know, frat boys and kind of modernize it. So nothing better than taking uh, a man who thinks he's a woman and making that person the spokesperson for Bud Light. Of course, then Bud Light sales just crater. And um, they lay off a bunch of people. If you sell Bud Light, you're like, oh, my God, what a bomb, what a horrible mistake. They put both of those people, the woman in charge of marketing, the other guy, they put him on um, what, extended leave or whatever. They were basically just sort of quietly fired at him. So Bud Light decides they're going to try to uh, flip the switch, flip the script, and let's get somebody else in there to get it back up again. Uh, Shane Gillis is a very funny guy, really funny comedian. And um, here's a little bit of Shane Gillis. This is him. He does really good Trump imitation. He's uh, Trump gave what I think was probably one of the greatest speeches of world leaders given. You know, it's got to be up there with like Churchill, Gettysburg Address. It's the night the United States killed the leader of ISIS. Trump comes out of the Situation Room at like midnight in the White House, and he walks down that f- tunnel. Like he's, he gives a press conference, like he's giving a post-game NBA. He just goes, Abu Bakar, Outback Daddy, is dead. He died like a dog. And it's, and it's changed one word of that. That's what he opened with. And then he did 40 minutes. The speech is 40 minutes. The meanest talk you've ever heard in front of the whole world. Abu. We could hear him crying, I said, Apu, don't cry. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Apu cried, he cried quite a bit. I wouldn't have cried. <laughs> cry baby back daddy, that's what we were all calling. <laughs> anyway, he is hilarious. He made a bunch of news because he was on Saturday Night Live. He was a writer for Saturday Night Live, and then I think he was going to be a cast member, or maybe he was going to be a writer, just strictly a writer. Then somebody found something he had said that they thought was racist, so Saturday Night Live fires him. The guy kills everywhere he goes. He does a lot of work in Austin. My daughter has seen him twice. She says, Dad, you should see the people that go to see this guy. He's hilarious. Well, now he has been hired by Bud Light to be the new spokesperson for Bud Light. It is now Shane Gillis, which is the absolute opposite. Heavy set guy going slightly bald in a T-shirt, pair of like baggy jeans up there in a ratty sneakers doing jokes like this. The antithesis of Dylan McDonald. Is it McDonald? I can't remember the guy's name anymore. Dylan Mulvaney. Mulvaney, yeah. Um, so... Hey, let's get Shane Gillis in there. Maybe we can bring our sales back. He's uh, been hired to be the spokesperson to promote March Madness in April. Oh, okay, okay. The the question is: Is his 
controversy or his firing because of what he said on a podcast, is that going to come back to haunt Bud Light? And people are going to say, can't you just find someone that isn't controversial? Mm, Bud. Bud. (laughs) The the frogs. Oh, the frogs. They they were cute. Bud. Wise. Oh, it was Budweiser? It was, yeah, Budweiser. I mean, that company. Why? Okay. How did it come to you? How did you find oh, out about funny. it? So that night I had shows at the stand, and I was like, nice. I just got announced on. <laughs> okay, Andrew. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. This is him okay. explaining uh, how he found out he was fired. Well, we have to wait for Andrew to finish. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right, Andrew. <laughs> SNL. I'm gonna go to the club, get some drinks. It'll be fun. On the way to the club, I was in the train, and I got a text from my agent that was like, "Did you say uh, the c word?" And I was like, "No, I would never. I don't say that word." And then she was like, "Here's a clip of you saying it." It was literally a video of me saying it. And I was like, "All right, maybe I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like I said it." And by the time I got to the stand, like TMZ was there. No, <laughs> yeah. no, yeah. bro. They met you there. They yeah. got there before you did. Yeah, and comics like, oh, you're in trouble. That was yeah. the same night they announced that he was hired for whichever cast member or writer at SNL. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, will people forgive Bud Light and say, "Well, we like Shane Gillis, so if we like Shane Gillis, we like Bud Light again"? Maybe. I mean, they were desperate to do something. They signed so they a. Huge contract with the UFC too in this. I oh, that's right, yeah, right, like right, a, right. Because Dana said, "Listen, I, I don't care. You know, you know, you don't drink it or do drink it." But yeah, they did a big, big thing. But they realized what's the opposite of a man that thinks he's a, a girl, and by the way, I think insults insults every single woman when he explains how he is a girl by acting acting like a girl. So they go the opposite and they go MMA and they get other people and you know, good luck. Is this, you know, will I always have this hanging over them? Will people start drinking Bud Light again? I don't know if they will necessarily because it's just like any other light beer that's out there. You could drink Coors Light or something else. And once you've made the switch, why would you switch back again? Are you switching back because Shane Gillis? Maybe you say, okay, they heard us. They go with Shane Gillis. They were with MMA. So, therefore, we will give them our money again. Maybe maybe it works. I don't know. You have to be a really dedicated Bud Light drinker to sort of work all that stupid mathematics out in your head. I don't think anybody cares that much. Yeah, I was going to say, I I feel so old to me. Like, people, if they were trying to make a point by not buying Bud Light, this is kind of in the rearview mirror. So, if they really like Bud Light, they're going to go back to it. If they feel it's so important to them to uh-huh. take a stand over this, then they'll never go back to it. Yeah. Right. So good for Shane Gillis. He makes a whole bunch of money on this, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying I, I wonder if there will be people that call attention to the fact that he was fired. I, I don't. I didn't realize he was fired over saying that word. I thought he was fired over something that was considered to be racist. Oh, I think that was the other part of it, too. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's just but there's a lot, a lot of those guys like Dave Chappelle is not afraid to say, you know, what people consider to be transphobic things or whatever. And he just does it and he continues to do it. And, and I think people like the pendulum has swung a little bit where people are kind of tired of being outraged over jokes. 
Yeah, I saw Jerry Seinfeld the other day. He was being interviewed by somebody, the, the guy, which, uh, who was interviewing him. And the guy said, uh, yeah, um, I've noticed that uh, you're not very inclusive. It's mostly white uh, males. And Jerry goes, oh, here we go. And then he just told the guy, look, look, these are the people sitting. Why, why do we have to have a demographic? Are we going to take the U.S. census? And we're going to look at the U.S. And then it has to be a certain percentage. He goes, look, funny is funny is funny. A joke is a joke is a joke. And like, it, it, why, why are you doing this? He shot it right. Why are you bringing this up? Why is that important to you? This, you know, mushy guys like, well, you know, because a lot of people are saying, no, 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 no. And Jerry Seinfeld basically saying, stop doing this to comedy. Stop it. Stop. You're destroying comedy. Seinfeld won't play colleges. Other uh, comedians won't do colleges as well because everybody's so sensitive, all this sort of stuff. What words are you saying? And are you have you have the right demographic mix? He's pushing back on all of that because he said, you know, why is it that um, that the people that are doing the cars, you know, comedians in cars and coffee or whatever that thing is, you know, why don't you have more black comedians? He goes, funny is funny is funny. That's all I care about. And if you're not funny, I don't care about you. But if you're funny, that's all that matters. If I think you're funny, you're on the show. I don't care who you are. I only care about funny. And so... Why does it have to have a certain percentage of people that represent a certain minority in order to pass some test? Um, he got kind of mad about it, but he's right. It's like guy, people like this guy that's keeping score have really messed up comedy. Everybody's walking on eggshells on this stuff. That's part of the reason people go to see Dave Chappelle. They, they want that, that tension of, of Chappelle saying what he's going to say. Who was on the show with Jerry Seinfeld, by the way? Who was? Was Chappelle, was Chappelle was. on? Was yeah. Chappelle in the car with him? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Very funny. Uh, oh, boy, we didn't get to it. American syph- Americans uh, syphilis epidemic <laughs> laid bare. We didn't get to this one. We'll get to it. Is this fire. in Alaska? How are we doing uh, in Washington? Alaska. Uh, I think you guys are holding up your end of the deal. <laughs> Is it a deal? <laughs> I had a play. Okay, really, she Andrew. <laughs> Uh, I was in a play, and I had to play a, a kid that got syphilis and then went crazy. Because it gets into your brain, you know. Yeah. That I mean, made uh, Al Capone crazy, right? Yeah. Is what I did him in? And, yeah. and, it also and, does and something Edgar to your bones. Wow, here we go. I'll take uh, oh, 500 <laughs> people Clara Barton. famous people with syphilis for 500, yeah. please. Clara Barton, who was the uh, you know the big nurse, she died of syphilis. Thank you, Sherry. And this is <laughs> this includes our syphilis hour. <laughs> bup, bup, bup. Here we are. Well, Billy Joel, we know he's coming to town. I don't know if tickets are still available or not. But uh, he's got a new song he's released. But before we do the new song... Um, I looked up Billy Joel's worst songs. Of course, you can read all those in Reddit. The guy says even the worst song by Billy Joel is better than most people's songs. But he listed the worst songs by Billy Joel. I don't know what makes them worse. But, you know, um, and by the way, you used to be able to take a class. Billy Joel would teach you how to write songs and how he does it. He said he writes the music first and then he does the lyrics. He says it's like uh, 
um, Michelangelo saying, you know, inside the giant block of marble is the sculpture. All I have to do is find it. He said the same sort of thing with him, writes the music. If he likes the music, then he just puts the lyrics in the song. He said, there's, he said, I wrote a song about this guy um, that wasn't even named James, but if I called him by his real name, which was Fred, it wouldn't have worked, so I used the name James instead, and then he wrote, do you have that one, Andrew? I just sent it to you in the last second there. You pursued an education, James. Fred. Do you like your life? <laughs> Can you find release? And will you ever change? Fred. Will you ever write your masterpiece? Are you still in school? starting <laughs> I think this is going to be it over and over and over again Mexican connection that was like oh, halfway wow. through it starts oh my slower. god oh. oh yeah even more okay never mind okay here is without further ado Billy Joel's new song turn on turn the lights back on please open the door nothing is different we've been here before pacing these halls Trying to talk over the silence And pride sticks out his tongue Laughs at the portrait that we become Stuck in a frame, unable to change I was wrong I'm late American Bandstand with Dick Clark. They would play a song and then you had to rate it. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you rate that song? This guy's like, I like it a lot. I could give it like an eight. It's good. It's easy to dance to. He's like, all right, gets an eight. The average it's- person that likes the song will listen to the song 300 times a year. Oh. And the thing about new songs, like if Billy Joel's like, here's the latest, and people are like, you're hearing it for the first time. It never has the impact because you don't associate memories with it. Like you're driving down the road, you know, mm-hmm. listening to um, Italian restaurant. Remember that when you were in grade school or whatever it was. So the songs connect to memories and then, you, oh, I like that song. So when new songs play, that's when everybody goes to the bathroom. Well, I do like this because it's very Not Billy in their Joel. pants, I might add. Oh, sure. well, that's a good thing. Don't have yeah. a changing station. Yeah. But you like that one. Yeah, I think it's it's very much like him. It's not it's not something so offbeat or different or whatever where he wants to flex his artistic muscles. He's staying in the Billy Joel lane. I like that. Yeah, well, Bob Dylan did that whole you gotta save somebody. Oh. Yeah. 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 It got really bad. 
the artist is trying to like grow. It's like, yeah, yeah. get back to, you know, Blood on the Tracks or Hurricane Carter or whatever. But like, yeah, yeah, save somebody. I saw Perry Connick and Junior in concert and. He was only doing his New Orleans jazz stuff, oh. and people were, were yelling, "The way you look tonight, play that one." And he was like, "You know, mm-hmm. I really want to just experiment with this tonight." We're like, mm. "No, no, no, thank experiment you. at home." I paid fifty dollars to hear all the songs I've heard. Like when I yelled out for the one guy to play, I forget who was it saying, "Um, um, oh." Uh, um, you know, <laughs> that guy, finger waving guy. At no, um, oh darn it, it'll come to me though. Okay, <laughs> I'm thinking Billy Joel right now. It's gonna come okay. to me. Okay, all right, all right.